0: Welcome to Pod Academy, where ideas and debate roam free. I'm Sally Feldman, and the subject of this interview is fashion. Some of us love its glamour, its creativity, the way it makes us look and feel. For others, though, the whole industry is obscene. That's the view of journalist and campaigner Tansy Hoskins. Tansy's here at my flat in East London where we're going to discuss her new book, Stitched Up, the anti-capitalist book of fashion. Well, Tansy, you claim that fashion reinforces class and unequal power relations and that it pushes the values of wealth. And greed, and that's a pretty damning condemnation. What do you mean?
1: I think the the fashion industry really exemplifies the the system and the society that we live in. I mean, I think it's uh, it's very clear if you take if you take a walk down Oxford Street in in central London you'll see all the, the huge stores and if you keep walking up to Bond Street you'll start to see like the luxury retailers sale of luxury goods uh, worldwide stands at about 150 billion every single year yet as you take this walk up Oxford Circus you'll also pass homeless people begging for pennies you know trying to get into a, a homeless shelter so the contrast i think between the The sort of super rich and the reality of everyday life of people I think is very is very clear in the fashion industry
0: yes but it's it's a clarity that you 'll see in in any form of capitalism and industry, so why pick on fashion
1: it is true, and i mean I, I very much see fashion as part of capitalism. But I wanted to pick on fashion, as you say, because nobody had done it before. Nobody had written a, a anti-capitalist book on fashion. And I think there's a, a tendency to see fashion as somehow removed from capitalism, as somehow just kind of art that doesn't have any responsibilities to the world around it, or is somehow separate from the, the material reality uh, it creates in terms of The planet or women's bodies and things like that.
0: Well that's not quite true is it because everybody knows that fashion is a big industry you just quoted the figures yourself I think people are well aware that it is business aren't they?
1: I think that fashion worked very hard to keep uh, a veil between the realities of production and what we see I think when you know when you look at Uh, flick through a magazine or look at a rack of clothes or watch a catwalk show you're seeing a very purposeful idea of glamour you're not seeing uh, the reality that goes into making even the simplest of t-shirts you're not seeing you know the process from the cotton fields to the the dye factories in China and you know and the freight and the the marketers and all of that you just see the item. Yeah. Well, that is
0: something you do go into into your book, Tansy. Uh, how fashion items are produced, the conditions of those working in the industry. What do you mean? And how do you know? What did you find out?
1: The the conditions for people working on the on the sort of front line of the fashion industry are are pretty dire. I mean, it's a, it's an industry. Where the factories are ninety percent staffed by women, they're very young women from sort of teenagers up until and there's nobody over the age of forty really working in the factories. They work extremely long days, so they work for sixteen hour days.
0: Where is this? That you're so this
1: about? is countries. So this country is countries like a sort of categorized sort of global south. So uh, Bangladesh, Cambodia, Vietnam, China, and then Haiti and there's a kind of circle around Europe as well, so Eastern Europe and um, North North Africa where, and also countries in close proximity to the US border as well. So Guatemala and places like that. No matter where it is, the kind of the patterns are the same. There's so very low, very low levels of, um, of rights. So no maternity leave, no sick leave, um, no pensions, no rights of sort of association or trade union organising.
0: Anyway. I mean, you're being fairly general. I mean, is that always true? Are there any moves to change that, anywhere?
1: There are. Uh, there are moves to change it, but it's an extraordinarily difficult thing to change because the fashion industry and these, these enormous corporations, in my opinion, purposefully pick uh, countries where the rights are likely to stay very low and where there's a, often like a, quite an autocratic regime in place who is willing to crack down on any kind of dissent. That's why were so many fashion companies producing in Burma for example under the military dictatorship and that's why also they're so fond of Bangladesh is because there's no um, there's a government there that's very unwilling to change.
0: So where are these workers doing something about it themselves?
1: Bangladesh has seen, um, has seen big strikes lately and they've had some very big successes they've um, massively increased the minimum wage in Bangladesh Cambodia, there have been large strikes as well and demonstrations over the last few months and uh, factories being set on fire and things like that. And Haiti as well is another place where the people working in the factories are kind of saying, you know, enough is enough and trying to get organised. But in each place they face the threat of the factory or the manufacturing being moved over the border to another country where people are more compliant.
0: When you talk about high fashion, the, the top designers, are any of those aware of these conditions? Are they doing anything about it themselves?
1: They are. I mean, I I, I don't think there's any excuse in the, in the present day for any retailer to say they're not aware of the manufacturing conditions. It's just so highly documented, like everybody knows what's going on in those factories. There aren't, there's not enough, no, there's not enough moves to change in either the luxuries division or or the the high street division.
0: But on the other hand, you could say exactly the same about something that doesn't get the same kind of criticism. Say the IT industry, if you go to factories in China and see thousands and thousands of people in exactly the same conditions making our iPads for us.
1: I completely agree, yes. And you you saw, I mean, like Foxconn, they had to install nets around the building because workers were... Uh, committing suicide because they were so driven to despair by the repetitive nature of the work they were doing so yes it is not problems that is unique to fashion at all
0: well, well your attack on the fashion industries doesn't stop there for example you also accuse fashion of desecrating the planet how
1: fashion's impact on the planet is actually is terrifying it was one for me one of the most shocking Bits of the research that I did. I mean, for example, in China, the the fashion industry rate is rated as the third worst um, industry out of thirty nine Chinese industries in terms of water pollution. So pretty much all of the water that goes into the the fashion process is ruined and comes out polluted and is just literally pumped back into the uh, into the rivers in China. And for hundreds of like hundreds of millions of people we are they're getting to the point where there is no clean drinking water for them to drink and there's currently hundred thousand people die every year in China because of polluted drinking water. And this is I mean it's something we all need to take seriously because whether you're a Chinese peasant or a shareholder or Carl Lagerfeld, you still need to be drinking water. You know there's nobody that can survive without it. So it's something that's it is affecting us all.
0: Perhaps a more familiar argument in your book is your assertion that fashion promotes, I'm quoting you here, gender stereotypes, body insecurity and dissatisfaction. Well, some of that's been documented, but what exactly do you mean?
1: We see up to about 5,000 images every single week and these images that are produced by the fashion industry, so they're not just images of supermodels, but they're images of supermodels which have been augmented, so the hair might be fake, they're wearing huge amounts of makeup, false eyelashes, had loads of things done to their skin. Then they're put through a computer, so then they're, they're airbrushed. So you're looking at a computer-generated supermodel body that's been augmented, which none of us will ever have. I mean, supermodels already have a body type that only 5% of American women share. And then if you add on the augmentation and then you add on the computer generation, yeah, we've got no chance. So it basically leaves people feeling dissatisfied. And we're taught, I think, from an increasingly young age to hate our bodies and to to feel dissatisfied and to want to change them. And of course, that means buying things. That means buying cosmetics or buying cosmetic surgery in extreme cases or buying huge amounts of clothes because we're sold the idea that Whilst you don't look right, you could look right if you just bought this one extra thing.
0: Well, there's been plenty of criticism like that from politicians, from journalists, from commentators, and nothing much has changed. Why do you think that is? I
1: mean, it's a it's a huge it's a huge industry to change. Probably the only way you could do it is by bringing in regulation and that kind of thing. So far is unprecedented and we I mean we're really living in unprecedented times the ideal human body has never been so far removed from what uh, from the reality of the human body so in order to counteract this kind of unprecedented problem we need to take unprecedented step. On the other hand it
0: does strike me somewhat preachy that view because not all young women are stupid enough to believe that they can look like Kate Moss people are looking after themselves better people are going to the gym more people are aware of their health the women's magazines that promote fashion also promote good living and healthy living so aren't you being a bit patronising about how much women are influenced by these images?
1: I don't think it is patronising to say that uh, an industry that is is worth 1.5 trillion and who throws 5000 images at you every single week has an effect i think that it, that is very real and i think unfortunately we're seeing rising rates of 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 depression and body dysmorphia both amongst young women and increasingly amongst young men and disordered eating and eating disorder levels are going up amongst young men now i, mean, I was talking to to a teacher last night who's extremely concerned about the um, about the effect that popular culture and fashion is having on his young students. And we're saying, how do we get people out of this kind of swamp that they're currently caught in of thinking they have to look a certain way?
0: Well, there used to be a time when people would simply fantasise about all these fabulous clothes that were worn by film stars or in the, the high fashion magazines. But that's sort of changing now because you make the point that there's a shrinking division between high fashion and high street fashion. Top designers even are producing collections for the chain stores. Isn't that rather refreshing that people who could never afford those things before now have access to that kind of fashion?
1: In one sense, um, yes, it it does mean that certain key looks from certain designers are more available to more people. But I don't think that that's the same as saying that we somehow have a sort of fashion democracy at all. I don't think... People are free to wear uh, whatever they want. That the, the hijab, the Muslim headscarf, is you know is banned in several countries in Europe. Women are accused of if they're raped and they're wearing a miniskirt, they're told that it's their fault. You know, young black men aren't allowed on planes if their trousers aren't if they're not wearing a belt. And children sent home from school if they've got cornrows and things like that. So I, I don't see that we're living in a in a fashion democracy at all at the moment.
0: But looking at you, Tansy, you're wearing a really lovely print dress belted at the waist it's a skirt. you're showing lots of leg and you're wearing extremely fashionable clumpy boots with big shiny buckles on them um so you, you admit yourself don't you that you're not immune to the seduction of fashion are you as duped as the rest of us
1: well i mean i, I very much see myself as li- like as living in the system that that i live in i, I don't in any way see myself as um separate from it and I think part of my motivation to write the book was wanting to look at why I was so at the same so political on the one hand and yet so driven to keep to keep buying I mean that yeah that was quite interesting to, for me to sort of look into my own psychology and and also I don't think I could have written this book and done you know several years of research if I wasn't interested in fashion I, thought I would have been very bored so I, I yeah I definitely see myself as somebody who's yeah who's in the system and everybody everybody thinks advertising works except not on them yes. and I'm very like I'm very aware advertising works and yes it works on me even though I'm even though I'm aware of what it's doing
0: well you did build up to a quite radical conclusion that what we need is revolution now that's a fairly ambitious proposal isn't it
1: it is ambitious but as Anna winter says you know aim high aim very high so um so you know that that's what I wanted to do and I think I think it's important when you you know if you come from the political tradition that I come from that you don't just criticize everybody else but you say look up uh, there we there are actually hundreds of ideas out there for how we can build uh, a fair and equal society uh, we I don't I don't want to just tear things down. I want to um create a, a better a better world for everyone so yes it it is ambitious, but I think it's what's needed i mean i think the I mean the catastrophe of Rana plaza where the factory collapsed in Bangladesh where one thousand one hundred and thirty five people were killed and we're coming up to the anniversary. I think you know catastrophes of that magnitude deserve a response that can deal with them. One of the, the key thing that could have that would have stopped the over a thousand workers being killed is if there had been like, collective ownership of that factory, if the owner of the factory had been working on the production line with everyone else, there would have been nobody to force those workers to go into the factory when they knew it was going to collapse
0: but really, what evidence do you have that a change in the political system would make fashion more palatable
1: um, more palatable in
0: what well, more acceptable make you feel less guilty that you're wearing a lovely dress? Hmm. Is there evidence that it would be different under a different political system
1: definitely like as it just as it happens, this dress was produced by people tree I don't want to do an advert for them at all but um but you know who do run their company differently they, you know that is they do make sure they pay people properly, and there's a much lower environmental impact so there's already people kind of implementing things that we could add into the, the blueprint of a, a new society. There's already ways of doing fashion differently and they're not even trying to be revolutionary. They're just trying to be you know, a bit more progressive. So I can already see steps and people who are doing things differently and I think we could completely transform the world around us. And in terms of whether fashion w- would be boring without capitalism, I mean, you only have to look at the designs of Popover and Stepanova who were there they were two like Russian Bolshevik fashion designers who were working after the Russian revolution and they just created I mean I would encourage everyone to google their work because they just created some of the most like beautiful textile designs that you will ever see and um, particularly if you place their work in the context of of other European designers at the time I mean they're just sort of head and shoulders above everyone else in terms of really beautiful designs which I think was very motivated by their desire for for working men and women to be treated with dignity and to have beautiful clothes not to just be given old like overalls or whatever so yeah I mean I'm fully confident that you know it's not capitalism that drives human creativity at all everything's there that we need we can easily transform society
0: Tansy Hoskins thank you And thank you for listening. There are many other podcasts featuring current research at www.podacademy.org.